I'll tell you uh, one cool thing, and, and Miss Wanda was kind of talking to me about it, and we were sitting right here. Uh, you may not know this, but uh, every so often, um, maybe once a quarter or a little more, um, our church, we, we actually feed Celebrate Recovery on Thursday nights. I get to preach there quite a bit. Uh, I was there a couple of weeks ago. And uh, what's really cool is College and Career is going to be feeding Celebrate Recovery this week too. So not only did they feed us tonight, they, they're going to feed a lot of people Thursday night at Celebrate Recovery. And uh, it's just good to, to see that. And uh, I know we've got Sunday school classes um, that, that will go together and get meals for people who are sick and people who are suffering. And uh, that's just an awesome way to bless someone, uh, to bless them with food. And, and look, we, we get blessed every time we come together, right? Wednesday nights, Sunday nights. It's so awesome to be able to sit down and eat together and fellowship together, just live life together. And then we get to dig into the Word, and, and that's the best part. So we get our, our, our little bellies filled, and then we get our hearts filled. So you can't get any better than that. That's good stuff. So Joshua chapter 13, if you'll remember last week, we were looking at Joshua 11 and 12, and I started off with a statement, and that statement is very simple. When God makes a promise, God keeps it. That's exactly right. Uh, As we see throughout Joshua, indeed, throughout the entire Bible, God is faithful. We see God's faithfulness in every word, uh, in every verse, in every chapter of the Bible. Uh, God is faithful. Uh, It certainly, when you look at the book of Joshua, God's faithfulness was not based on Israel, was it? Because Israel was not so faithful. Uh, There were many times when uh, it was the opposite. They were unfaithful. Um, And so God's faithfulness is not based on Israel. I'm going to tell you something. God's faithfulness is not based on you and me. God's faithfulness is based on him. It's who he is. And so I love that. Uh, Paul, when he was talking to young Timothy, he said, even when we are faithless, God is faithful. And so don't, don't forget that. God is always faithful. Um, in the next few chapters of Joshua, we're going to be looking at the land, okay? So what we've seen so far is we've seen Joshua and the Israelites move into the land, and God has blessed them, and they've taken control of much of the land. There's still quite a few areas that they do have to possess, but so far what we've seen uh, is we've seen them take the land just like God uh, promised them, and just like God told them, um, the promised land, that's what it's called. So I want you to think about the land tonight, and there's a very important word I want to use. The land is actually an inheritance to Israel from God. It, it's an inheritance, and you're going to see that tonight in the Scripture, Joshua chapter 13. So the land that we're about to talk about in these next few chapters, pretty much all tonight, but also in the next couple of weeks, the land is an inheritance from God to Israel. And what I want to do real quickly is I want to show you a map because you may be saying, well, what does this look like? And so there's going to be a map on the screen. And this map, uh, hopefully you can see it okay. If you can't, you got old eyes like me, and that's okay. Uh, afterwards, you may want to come up here and say, look at it. And I've got it on my iPad and in my Bible. But uh, this is a map uh, from, from uh, Halley's handbook. And so if you'll notice, the land is split. Now, you'll notice uh, right down here is the Dead Sea. And then basically straight up, um, the Jordan River is right there. And so what you've got is over here on the east side, okay? So to your right, you'll notice the three tribes of Israel that are on the east side. That is not considered, quote-unquote, the promised land. That, That is on the east bank, right? The promised land is over here. It's on the west side. And so what you'll notice, you'll notice all the tribes on the west side, uh, which basically it's, it's nine, nine and a half because Manasseh, we'll see tonight, 
uh, was split. There were half the tribe of Manasseh was on the east side, uh, which you'll see it up there in the very top corner where the Sea of Galilee is. And then you'll see the other half of Manasseh is down here, uh, right on the border of the city of Shechem, which was a huge city. So just wanted you to be able to see um, those land assignments. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight and really moving forward in these next few chapters. And like I said, if you're not careful, you'll say, well, what in the world does this have to do with me? You know, um, this is just history. Uh, but I'm going to show you tonight um, that, that God's got a word for us tonight, even in the historical record of Israel. So this gives us a good idea of what the land looks like as we move forward in the book of Joshua. Now tonight in Joshua chapter 13, we're really focusing on this east side, Okay. We're really going to focus more on these three tribes over here, Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben, on the east side of the Jordan River. And then over the next couple of weeks, we'll go back to the west side and we'll look at the promised land and how it was divided up uh, with those nine and a half tribes of Israel. So let's go ahead and start Joshua chapter 13. This first passage uh, is verses 1 through 8. So look at it with me. It says, when Joshua had grown old, and I'm going to stop right there. Most theologians believe at this point, Joshua was close to 100 years old, okay? That's what they believe. Most theologians, just looking at the land, looking at all that had taken place, he was close to 100 years old because at the end of Joshua, uh, he dies at 110. So, so basically what we're going to see is these next few chapters uh, will, will unfold over about 10 years uh, if theologians are correct with their math. So when Joshua had grown old, the Lord said to him, You are now very old, and there are still very large areas of land to be taken over. This is the land that remains. All the regions of the Philistines and the Geshurites from the Shaho River on the east of Egypt to the territory of Ekron on the north, all of it counted as Canaanite, though held by the five Philistine rulers in Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath, and Ekron, the territory of the Avites on the south, all the land of the Canaanites from Era uh, of the Sidonians as far as Aphek uh, and the border of the Amorites, the area of Byblos and all Lebanon to the east from Belgad below Mount Hermon to Lebo Hamath. As for all the inhabitants of the mountain regions from Lebanon to Mishraoth, Maim, that is all of the Sidonians, look at this, I love these words, I myself will drive them out. Don't you love that? God's saying, here's the land, and don't worry, son, I got this. That's kind of my way of saying it, right? God says, I myself will drive them out before the Israelites. Be sure. So he follows that with, but don't forget your part, right? God says, here's what I'll do, but don't forget your part. He says, be sure to allocate this land to Israel for an inheritance. There's that word, right? So all of this land that you saw on that map, um, that was God's land, and he was giving it to the Israelites. So the land was an inheritance. He said, be sure to allocate this land to Israel for an inheritance as I have instructed you and divide it as an inheritance among the nine tribes and half of the tribe of Manasseh. The other half of Manasseh, the Reubenites and the Gadites, had received the inheritance that Moses had given them east of the Jordan as he, the servant of the Lord, had assigned it to them. So we, we get really 
uh, the big picture here in the first eight verses of this chapter. Now, what we see right off the bat is that God makes another promise. Uh, He's been making promises to Joshua, and what did we say about his promises? He keeps them, right? So God makes another promise to Joshua and Israel by saying two words, I will. Right? Do you see that promise? God said, I will. God said, all this land uh, is yours. And there's still some land you haven't possessed yet. But I will. I will. He says, I myself will drive them out. So the Lord was fighting for Israel. Now you, now you understand why I showed you that song, right, and those lyrics, The Battle Belongs by Phil Wickham. The battle belongs to the Lord. When, you're, when you are the Lord's child, uh, he is fighting for you. And that's what we see right here. The Lord was fighting for Israel. He was keeping the promises that he has made to them all along by giving them all of the land. Listen, not just part of the land, not just pieces of the land. He's giving them all the land as their inheritance. Uh, he said to them over and over again, we saw it last week in chapters 11 and 12, those same two words. God says, I will, I will, I will. But we also see, and I said this just a few moments ago, God reminds Joshua of his participation, right? He reminds him of his participation saying two words, allocate and divide, allocate and divide. If you'll remember, when we started this series, I told you two things. I said, we're going to see God's work. We're going to see God working to accomplish his purposes. But I also told you, secondly, we're going to see God's people doing something as well, right? If we're not careful, we just pray, God, please do this, God, please do this, and then we just sit back and with our, you know, with our arms crossed and sit down and just wait. But but listen, when we pray, God, do this, we ought to say, God, what do you want me doing? What do you want me doing as well? Because you didn't call me to sit down and watch. You called me to participate. And so when we're praying for, for God to move in our lives, we also ought to be praying, God, what do I need to be doing right now? What do I need to be doing? And so that's what we see right here is that God reminds Joshua about his participation. The land was to be divided as an inheritance between the nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And I'm going to tell you what this is. This is a step of trust and obedience in the Lord. That This is trusting the Lord and being obedient because he was going to go ahead and allocate and divide the land, even the land he didn't possess yet. Do you, do you understand that? Like, he hasn't even possessed some of these spots. But God says, go ahead and allocate it and divide it. Because I will, I will drive them out before you. It's a sure thing. When God says this is going to happen, it's a sure thing. Right? It's not like these football games and these basketball games we watch. Right? I heard one of those announcers today say, well, when when you flip the coin toss and Patrick Mahomes gets the ball first, it's pretty much over. They're going to win. Well, not today. Not today, right? Listen, there ain't nothing in this life sure. There ain't nothing in this life sure. But I'm going to tell you something. When God says something, you can be sure of it, right? You can count on it. Because what did I say? When God makes a promise, he keeps it, right? And that's what we see. And so this was a step of trust. This was a step of trust in God and obedience in God that he's going to do what he says. So I'm going to go ahead and allocate the land and divide it, even though I may not possess it all. Because God says, I will. I love that. Now, what we see 
Before all of that happens, because over chapter 14, 15, 16, when we go on down the line, we're going to see all that possession. But tonight I told you we're focused on three groups, and that's the three groups on the east side of the Jordan. And that's the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They were given that land east of the Jordan. Now you may be saying, well, what is that about? Well, if you'll remember, this was a fulfillment of the assignment of land Moses had promised these tribes. Um, we can see the description of these lands in verses 9 through 13. I'm not going to read that, those verses out loud to you, but those next few verses, 9 through 13, that's a description of that land east of the Jordan. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, verses 15 through 32, most of this chapter, really all it is, it's a description of those land pieces, uh, those three pieces of land. I love Dr. Warren Wiersbe. Uh, he, he has an incredible commentary, and I love what he said. This is what he said about this land east of the Jordan that I showed you on that map. He said, these people had asked for this land outside the boundaries of Canaan because it was especially suited for raising cattle. That's why they wanted that land. It was a lush land, and they believed it was the best land for what they did. They raised cattle. And so he said, that's why they asked for it. He went on and he said this, these three tribes, right, They became sort of a buffer zone between the Jews and heathen nations like Moab and Ammon. But of course, their location made them extremely vulnerable both to military attacks and to ungodly influences. Those military attacks and those influences eventually brought about their downfall. If you want to learn what happened to these three tribes, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and that half-tribe of Manasseh, you can go to 1 Chronicles chapter 5. In 1 Chronicles chapter 5, you get a good idea of what happened to those tribes east of the, the land of Canaan, the, the promised land. So half of the tribe, you're probably going, okay, well, what about the other half? So half of the tribe of Manasseh, did in fact cross over the Jordan and stayed in the promised land. And they were given that land on the west side, which you saw that on the map. Um, But we're going to look at that a little later on. But this one half tribe, they stayed there on the east side of the Jordan. And I'm going to tell you, uh, many theologians, when you look at Dr. David Jeremiah, uh, when you look at Dr. Tony Evans, uh, many of the pastors, you know, they'll, they'll tell you that at the time when they were making these decisions, they thought they would be okay right, on the outside of the promised land. But that is not where God originally wanted them, right? He wanted them to be in the promised land. He gave them that land as an inheritance. And what we see, like in First Chronicles and throughout other parts of the Bible, uh, these tribes that did not go into the promised land, they suffered. They, they suffered because they settled for less, right? They, they settled for what they saw in their eyes and what they thought was best, rather than doing what God said and what God wanted for them. Now, listen, I mean, they, they had lush lands, and yes, you know, um, they, they had some blessings, but as you will see, um, some of their people, um, they married outside of their tribes, and uh, ungodly influences came in, and because of that, um, they, they were hurt. They were hurt badly. So that's the first eight verses, and we learn a lot in the first eight verses. There's another tribe I'm leaving out. And I don't want to leave them out. And you're going to see them throughout the rest of Joshua, but that's the Levites. So I want you to look at two verses with me. You'll have them back to back on the screen. 
First of all, let's look at Joshua 13, verse 14. The Bible says, but to the tribe of Levi, he gave no inheritance. Now, you might read that and go, well, what did they do? This is not a bad thing, okay? It's not a bad thing. But to the tribe of Levi, he gave no inheritance since the food offerings presented to the Lord, the God of Israel, are their inheritance as he promised them. And then if you move down and you look at verse 33, we see another mention of the Levites. It says, but to the tribe of Levi, Moses had given no inheritance. The Lord, the God of Israel, is their inheritance as he promised them. I don't know about you, but when I read that, I was like, uh, I'd rather have that. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I know that promised land is probably beautiful and it's probably awesome, um, but, but man, give me the Lord, right? Give me the Lord. I'll take, I'll take him as my inheritance. So when I read that, I was like, okay, I want to be in that tribe. So the Levites, let's talk about that for just a moment. Why weren't they given a, a, a track of land? The Levites were not given a land inheritance because they served the Lord and his people in the tabernacle, okay? So, so early on, uh, it, it's called the tabernacle. Later on, the name changes, but, but for now, we're going to call it the tabernacle, the place of service for the Lord. So they were not given responsibility to take care of the land. They were not given responsibility to take care of livestock, whether it be sheep or cattle. They were responsible for the food offerings that all of God's people brought to the tabernacle. Uh, And as a matter of fact, uh, they were given some of that food. Uh, The Lord provided for them. Uh, As we see in verse 14 and verse 33, the food that was brought to them, that was their inheritance. And then the Lord himself was their inheritance. Now, I mentioned Dr. Tony Evans. I love what he says right here. He says, when the Israelites brought offerings to the Lord, a portion of their offering was given to the Levites. The Lord provided for them just as he provided for every other tribe. Uh, And I made myself a note, if you want to write this down, you can see more of that in Numbers chapter 18, uh, how the food sacrifice was made and the Lord provided food for them. That's in Numbers chapter 18. Dr. Evans goes on and he says, Instead of a parcel of land, the Lord himself, the God of Israel, was their inheritance. Because of their special purpose... And their special calling, they enjoyed a special relationship with God. That's incredible. You know, we're going to take a look at all of these tribes as we move forward in Joshua. We're going to take a look at the land God gave them and how God blessed them and what they became and what they did. But, But when you look at the Levites, what an incredible, right? What an incredible blessing. What an incredible responsibility. Don't let me... Don't let me, you know, just talk about it being a blessing. It was also a responsibility. But, but what we see is just as God made promises to Joshua and all these tribes of Israel, God made promises to the Levites, and he kept them. He provided for them, and he used them in a special way. Now, I want to go ahead and tell you, um, the Levites will be given 48 cities. So that map that you saw, right, of all the promised land, the Lord is actually going to give them 48 cities scattered throughout the land. Because remember, they serve all of Israel for the Lord, okay? And so they're going to be given 48 cities, and 13 of those cities are going to specifically be designated for the priests, okay? So we're going to be looking at that a little later on in the book of Joshua, especially as we get into 20 and and, and on down. But the Lord provided for them, 
and they obediently served him. They obediently served his children, Israel. Uh, now, this is, this is what I really want to hit on tonight, okay? And this is kind of what I, I, what I want to get to. Um, this is not just a simple record of history. We can get caught up in that, right? Uh, have you ever gotten to some of those passages where you got a list of names? And you go, do I really need to read all those names? And so you just skip over it and you go to the next section. Don't do that. Don't do that, right? If it's in God's Word, then it matters. It's important, okay? I understand you might be going, okay, well, I get it. It's a bunch of people, but read those names, right? I'm going to tell you, go read the genealogy of Jesus, right? And you come across some interesting names like Rahab, the prostitute, right? If you skip all those names, you miss something beautiful right there, how God redeemed, right, a prostitute and that Jesus came out of the lineage of that prostitute. I mean, that's why I say don't just skip over it, okay? I'm not going to skip over all these chapters. I could easily say, well, now you know the rest of the story. Uh, God gave them the land. They split it up, and boom, there it is. I could stop at that map, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that because I want you to see detail. Detail, detail. I want you to see when God makes a promise, He keeps it. So this is not just a simple record of history. Let me tell you what this is. This is an awesome record of faithfulness. That's what this is. When you read Joshua 13 and when you move forward in Joshua 14 and 15 and you go on forward, you're going to see God's faithfulness toward His children. Uh, Listen, I tell people all the time that, you know, there's really two types of revelation. There's general revelation. God reveals himself to us in creation, right? We, we look out there and we see all that God's created. And God speaks to us and God reveals himself to us in what we call general revelation, creation. But there's also this thing we call special revelation, right? God reveals himself to us in his word, right? His written word. His word that was spoken and written down. And so what we've got is we've got the Bible. This is God's revelation of himself to us. God tells us who he is. God shows us who he is on each and every page. And what I love about the book of Joshua, especially like when I read Joshua 13, I I, I basically went into it acting like I, because I've read the book of Joshua before, but I went into it acting like I'd never read it before. And I thought, okay, so now it's basically you're just going to tell me how you divided the land. But, but he tells me so much more than that, right? Like I can't get over the fact that God said, here's what I'm going to do for you, and here's what you are going to do, right? I will, but don't forget, you have responsibility too. You have to participate in this. See, it's more than history, right? It's, it's God's faithfulness to his children. And listen... If God said that to Joshua, don't you know that God says that to you today? God says that to me today, right? God says, I will. It's kind of like that joke I was telling you about this morning with faith, right? The Lord said, just let go of the branch. How many of us just keep on holding on to the branch, right, when we fall? We just keep holding on to the branch, right? We keep trying to do it ourselves. Or we we, we want the Lord to do it like we want it done, right? Right? Jack was, fell off that cliff and holding that branch, and what did he want? He wanted the Lord to throw him a rope down, right? Or he, or he wanted the Lord to grab him and pull him up there, right? But the Lord had a different plan. The Lord said, let go, right? Let go. And so Jack said, is there anybody else up there? 
Isn't that what we do, right? God says, I will. God says, I, he says, I will in his word over and over again. Why don't we believe that? I, I'll tell you what we do. We, we, we dehumanize, right? We dehumanize some of these people like Joshua. We dehumanize. We, we say, well, that was Joshua, right? We read the book of Moses and we go, well, that was Moses, right? And, and God's, not, God's not doing that anymore. Well, says who? Right? Says who? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's right. That's right. We, we think God is who we say he is. But when you read God's word, he is who he says he is. He don't need me and you to amen it. He don't need that. Right? It's, it's good if we do. Amen. But, but he don't need that. God says who he is. He says who he is in his word. And what we see in Joshua chapter 13 specifically is that God is faithful. He can be trusted. As a matter of fact, the last thing I put on my notes was we can know God. We can know him. And, and you know what's better than that? We can trust him. We can know God because he tells us who he is. We can know him personally and intimately. And, and not only know him, but we can trust him. So, so when God says, this is who I am, and this is who you are, believe it. One of the things, I went and spoke to a, 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 a group of students. I guess it was last Saturday. And, and what I'm finding, especially in our young people and our students, and, and you know, it's probably true of many of us as adults, if we're not careful, we'll go to our phones, we'll go to our tablets, we'll go to our computers, and we'll believe what people say about us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and whatever. We'll, we'll believe what other people say about us, and we'll believe that's who we are, right? And, and isn't, it, isn't it amazing how easy we believe? Like when somebody says, you're not good enough, why is it so easy, easy for us to believe somebody like that and, and not believe what God says, right, in his word? We, we struggle with identity. We, we struggle with worth, right, self-worth. We struggle with value. I'm going to tell you something, right? The enemy wants you to believe lies. He wants you to believe that you're not worth it. He wants you to believe that you're not good enough. He wants you to believe that you're too dirty, right? He wants you to believe that you don't belong, that you don't fit in, that you're not good enough. The enemy's going to do whatever he can do to keep feeding you that lie. And I'm going to tell you, you keep opening your mouth, he's going to keep sticking the spoon in it, right? The baby, you, many of you have babies, that baby opens that mouth. What do you keep doing? You keep putting that spoon in it until he says no. And then some of you still try to put it in there, right? Anyway, that's, that's what the devil does to us, right? He, he listen, he's got plenty of lies to feed you if you'll just keep on taking it. You know what the truth says? The truth says God loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to die for you, right? And that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what God's Word says. That's how much He loves you. I'm going to tell you something. If He loves you that much, I, I, I think it's safe to say you're worth something. Right? I think it's safe to say you have value in God's eyes, value in kingdom ministry. Right? I, I mean, I'll take it even further. I love Peter. I'm going to tell you, if you need to be encouraged, right? if, you need, if you need some identity counseling, just go to the first and second Peter. Okay? Because you, know you know what Peter says? Peter says that you are God's 
chosen people, that you are a royal people, that you are a priesthood. It's a, there's a little term here. It's, it's called special possession. That's what Peter says. You are God's special possession. Some versions say special treasure. Do you know that there's nothing else in the Bible? There's nothing else in the Bible. There's nothing else in, that God has created in all this world that's given that title. His special possession. That's who you are, right? And listen to me. Nothing can change that. No one can change that. That is who you are, whether you believe it or not. But I'm going to tell you something, right? When it comes to kingdom ministry, when it comes to serving, when it comes to stepping out in faith and obedience, um, you got to believe that. You, you have to believe that. Or the devil's going to use you. He's going to use you not only to trip you up, but to trip somebody else up. And so I look at Joshua, and I think about him, right? Think about this. Joshua followed Moses. Anybody else want to do that? Right? Anybody else want to follow the one that was called the deliverer, right? The one that was given credit, right? Other than God, of course, but what did the people do? They looked at Moses and, man... I mean, Moses came down off the mountain. His face was glowing, and they didn't even want to look at him, right? I mean, just think about this for a minute. Joshua followed Moses, right? Did, 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 it, did we find in Scripture where Joshua had a problem with that? I'm going to be honest with you. I, I looked. I, I scoured all the book of Joshua to see if he had an identity problem. I don't see it, right? In Joshua chapter 1, God says, hey, Moses is dead. You're the man. I mean, that's pretty much what he says. Again, that's in 1 Jeff chapter 3, um, right? But, 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 I mean, if you look at it, what does he say? He says, Moses, my servant, is dead. You, right? He calls him out. You are going to lead the people. And then what does he say? He says, don't be afraid, right? And then he says, don't get discouraged. Think about all the words. Think about all the phrases he says. Don't be afraid. Don't get discouraged. Why do you think God said that to him? He needed it. Absolutely he needed it. I I think he needed it right then, but I also think God knew where he was going, and God knew all them people he was leading. He he knew that Baptist church was fixing to be following Joshua, right? And there was going to be a lot of bosses in there, and there was going to be a lot of people saying, why don't we go this way? Why don't we eat this tonight? Right? Why do I have to be on a potluck team? I mean, right? You can start coming up with all kinds of stuff. Listen, God knew. God knew what Joshua was about to get into. And before he even got into it, he said, don't be afraid and don't get discouraged. You want to know why? Because you can't lead well if you're fearful. And you can't lead well when you're discouraged. Right? You can't. It's just not possible. And I'm going to tell you, I've read that and I've said, God, I'm so guilty because there are times when I am fearful and I just try to brush it off, right? Or I try to act like I'm not. There there are times when I just let the discouragement sit on me, right? I just let it weigh on me. And that's a choice that I'm making because God says you don't have to do that. You don't have to walk in fear. You, you don't have to live in discouragement. What does God say to Joshua over and over again? He said it tonight. God says, I will, right? I will. He tells him that over and over again. I will. I will. 
I will. So I love this because in the chapters of Joshua, we, we don't see Joshua having really an identity crisis. I'm, I, I've looked. I've, I've read it more than four or five times. I go back and I'm, okay, surely Joshua had a problem. Surely, And maybe he did, but in the Scripture, we don't see Joshua struggling with identity. And I'm going to go back to this. There's some things that if you'll go back and look, what did Joshua do all the time? It says he got up early in the morning. It says that about Joshua a lot. He got up early in the morning. I recall on a Sunday morning, matter of fact, last Sunday morning, there was another man in Mark chapter 1 who got up early in the morning. And what did he go do? He prayed. And who was that? Oh, that was Jesus. Hmm. You think that was in there by accident? I don't. I I think that's something Jeff needs to look at and Jeff needs to think about, right? Instead of getting up a little later in the morning. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it said Jesus got up before daylight. Yeah. So I'm waiting on time change. Give me that hour back. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. But but you but you think about it. You think about it. And I'm not asking you to raise your hand. But how many of you have dealt with that identity crisis? Right, where where you, you found yourself in a bad spot, and, and you're trying to figure out how did I get here? Why am I here? If if you would be real with yourself, right? You don't need to point fingers at anybody. Maybe someone did discourage you. Maybe someone did say something bad about you. Maybe someone did do something to you. But at the end of the day, you either embraced it or you said, you know what? That's not who I am. Because this is what God says. Right? Listen, God, God says to Joshua, don't be afraid. Don't live in fear. Don't get discouraged. Don't, don't, don't get discouraged and stay in discouragement. God says to him over and over again, I will, I will, I will. Now, he don't tell Joshua, now sit down and let me do it, okay, because I've already showed you that. <laughs> he don't just tell Joshua, now sit down and let me do it. He says, here's what I will do for you, right? The battle belongs to me. And I'm going to tell you, when God says the battle belongs to me, you, you're going to win. Am, am I wrong? Has the... Anywhere in Scripture, has the Lord lost a battle? Nope. And I'm going to tell you something, he never will, right? So when I'm on the Lord's team, I'm on the winning team. Now, will I face struggles? Absolutely. Did did, did Joshua, you know, when God says, I will, did Joshua have to get his army up and charge into the battle? Yeah. Yeah, they had to fight. I mean, they they had to pull out the swords and there was blood spilled. Yeah, It, it was hard, right? But again, Joshua believed. He didn't just know God. He trusted God. And and I think that's where, I don't know about you, but for me, that's where my struggle is. It's it's that in-between knowing God and trusting God. And, And that's where Satan gets me. That's where he, gosh, that's where he digs his claws into me, right? He wants me to believe in myself. He wants me to believe that I don't need help, that I don't need this or that. He wants me to believe, you know, that, that they're against you anyway, so don't even talk to them. That 
they don't like what you're doing, so don't even, don't even give them any attention. He wants me to believe all these things, right? And isn't it crazy how easy we get sucked into that, right? We, we dig a hole and we get down in it, and we think, well, we'll just wait. It'll get better. It'll get better later on. I'm going to tell you, um, Joshua, he knew God and he trusted him. And if God revealed himself to Joshua, don't you know that God reveals himself to you? He reveals himself to you just like he reveals himself to Joshua. All you got to do is open the pages, right? All you got to do is open the pages. God says, here's who I am. Here's what I've done. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm going to do. God not only reveals himself right here in his word, I'm going to tell you something else. God reveals himself through the Spirit, right? When you repent of your sin, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God baptizes you. The Holy Spirit of God indwells you. And so the God who speaks the word, the God who wrote the word, is the God who's living inside of you. And I'm going to tell you, I've challenged myself, um, even in this past week, I've challenged myself that, that when I get up in the morning, right, when I get up in the morning, I just immediately start my conversation with God. I'm not trying to think about what I'm going to wear today or what, what meeting I got today. My, my mind is, God, me and you right now, I'm talking to you. Right? And that might be before the sun comes up, uh, or that might be a few minutes after the sun comes up. But, but I love, I, I love just, okay, God, you know who I am, and you know how I'm going to get tripped today. <laughs> and you know, you know how the enemy's going to try to trick me to get today. So God, let me remember now what you say about me. I've really been stuck on this, right? I've been stuck on this. God, I am a chosen child. I am a part of a royal priesthood. I am your special possession. That's who I am. And nothing I face today will ever change that. I I may be faithless, but God, I know who you are. You're faithful, right? And I know what your word says. Your word says that when I sin, I can repent, and and you are faithful and just, right? You ready to go there? First John chapter, we can go there if you want to. The Bible says if you'll confess your sin, God is faithful and just and will do what? And will forgive you of your sin. And what else? Purify you from all unrighteousness. I'm going to tell you, that's the truth. And what does Jesus say about the truth? It sets you free. It'll set you free to live, right? Live the way he said to live. Be who he says you are, and then you don't have to worry about all the noise, right, and all the crowd, right? I mean, think about this. How often do we make decisions, right, and how often do we live because we think all these people are watching? And I'm not saying, I'm not saying we shouldn't think about that, but that shouldn't be what drives us, right? What drives me is that my father said, do this, right? Now, he said, do it for my glory and do it to the, you know, do it with all your might. We can go to Colossians. I'm not going to go there. I'm preaching a lot of scriptures tonight. I'm going to try, try not to do that. Try not to chase rabbits. But, but I'm, I'm just saying, I really think, right, what I got out of this tonight, what I got out of this chapter, and it may not be what any of you get out of it, but what, what I thank God for is how Joshua met with God, knew God, and just trusted him. Just trusted him. Right? Just, just trust me. And I'm sure he had a bunch of people trying to tell him how he should do it. But you know what Joshua did? 
He did it the way God said to do it. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, he didn't have a committee telling him how to do it. He did it the way God told him to do it. At the end of the day, he didn't go take a family poll, right? Because we're going to get there. You know what Joshua says, right? He says, as for me and my family, like he made the decision. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. We're going to get there. I'm not going to preach that message tonight. But, but I'm telling you, I, I see a man that God blessed and God spoke to and he embraced what God said and then he walked in. Was he perfect? Have I, have I mentioned this? Was he perfect? No, because we have seen Joshua sidestep and God had to pull him back in. We, we've seen Joshua slip up, you know, sin, if you want to just use the right word. But God loved him. God forgave him. And for the most part, what we see is we see a man who did not struggle with his identity. And that's because he knew who his God was and he trusted him. And so for me tonight, what I need to do is I need to read God's word and know that God's word is for me too. And God's word is to me. I need to believe him. I need to know him. I need to believe him. I need to trust him. And, and if I can do that, hmm, I, can, I can live, right? Not for the crowd, but for him. Because here's the thing. You can try to please the crowd all you want. Guess what? You're going to lose. <laughs> you're going to lose. And you're going to lose a lot. Because it's hard to please one, much less a hundred. Think about that for a moment. Who don't know? Yeah, who, who, who and it changes. What, what pleases me today won't please me tomorrow. <laughs> so, jump in that guessing game. So, so here's the thing, right? Be more like Joshua. Just be, be more, I'm not saying be Joshua, but be more like Joshua. Know God by digging into his word, by praying, right? By being more than a listener, right? Being a doer. That's what Joshua did. He participated in the promises that God made him. And, and so, I don't know about you. I hope that helps you. I hope I didn't lose you tonight and drive you nuts, make, chasing all over like rabbits. But um, that's what I got. That's what I got out of this. It's, it's so much more than history. I love the fact that we get to see, you know, the map and we see all the land and we see how God did this. And, and, and look, we're going to get into that, like why these places, like why, why was, you know, Gad up here? Or why was Manasseh here? And why was half the tribe of Manasseh over here? We're going to see that, in this, you know, as we move forward. But, but it, it, it's so much more than history, right? It's faithfulness. God is faithful. I cannot say that enough. God is faithful. God is faithful. And the reason I want to keep saying that is because something's going to happen to you and you're going to feel like he's not. Have you ever been there? Okay, because I've been there. I've been there recently where it didn't feel like God was faithful, right? You want to know why? Because I, I, was, I, I was turning my ear to the lie of Satan. That's why it didn't feel like it. But I'm going to tell you something. What you feel, don't change the truth. What you feel, and whatever circumstance is going on in your life, it don't change the truth of God's word. And the truth of God's word is he's faithful. He's faithful. Period. Ain't no buts, ain't no ands, ifs. God is faithful. And that's what we see in Joshua 13. That's what we're going to see from here on out. Whatever, whatever book of the Bible God takes me to next, we're going to see that again. God is faithful. It's just the, it's one ringing truth throughout every page. God is faithful. And if he was faithful to Joshua, let me just tell you something. He's faithful to you. 
You can either believe it or not. And if you don't, good luck with life.